Let him know when we find the baby. He too would like to worship this new king. But then instructions came from a different order. Instructions that only come from dreams. <laughs> dreams of biblical proportions. And this is what the dream said. Don't return to the king. So simple, so straightforward. And that is the dilemma that I'm wrestling with. Do I listen to earthly authority? Or maybe do I listen to the godly type? And the, and the traveler in me, the wise man as it were, would it say, go see King Herod and give him what he wants. But my heart, but my heart tells a different story. My heart says that maybe this child deserves every ounce of obedience that I could give, even if I don't quite understand the roadmap yet. If following a star seemed difficult, Following this new king may be the greatest challenge yet. <laughs> yes, my friend, I think you and I, <laughs> we are going to take the long way home. been talking in our Advent series about how the coming of Jesus disrupted everyone in the Christmas story. That every person for whom Jesus came in that Christmas story had their lives turned upside down, but we've been arguing that he's turned our lives upside down in a beautiful way. And I don't know how you feel about interruptions or disruptions in your life, but most of us don't like them. Last week, we had a very horrible disruption in the middle of the service. Um, I was sitting here uh, dutifully waiting to do the pastoral prayer, which I'd worked so hard on, when suddenly we were interrupted by two crazy people, um, and I apologize that it won't happen again. <laughs> Last week, you had, some of you had your lives disrupted by a Christmas or by a winter storm. Those poor students that were looking to finish out the school year by going every single day that had academic pursuits in mind had their lives disrupted by that awful snow. Uh, some of you were disrupted this week because you thought you had all of your Christmas shopping finished and then you remembered four more people and you had to go out to the mall yesterday and if I was there too and it wasn't all that fun. But we've been talking about Jesus disrupting people's lives. And in fact, it's a good thing. It'll be the greatest thing that ever happened to your life. So often we spend most of our time trying to control our lives, trying to minimize every disruption that might come our way. But if you are going to follow Jesus, and if you want that more than anything, you are going to have to let go, to bow your knee, and to allow Jesus to come into your life and do what only he can do. 
Today, the passage that we're going to look at is how Jesus' coming disrupted the lives of the Magi. And so I'll ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 to 12. It's on page 1497 if you're using the red Bible in front of you. Or you can look it up on your phone or you can just simply listen as well. Matthew chapter 2 starting at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he called, the people, when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in the dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. As we look at this passage this morning, I want to give you a little context for what was going on and talk first a little bit about Herod, one of the characters that we see in this passage called Herod the Great. Herod is not the name of a person, but a family. The Herods were like the Kennedys. They were somewhat a political dynasty. Their family governed Palestine and some of the surrounding area for over 150 years. If you read through the New Testament, you'll see there's six different Herods that are mentioned. And the one that we read today is Herod the Great. He was a strict Roman loyalist, and he was trying to prove to Rome that his tiny Jewish outpost was a significant area. It was good for job security. So Herod set out on enormous building campaigns. In fact, if you visit Jerusalem today, you can see some of the facilities that he constructed. But of course, these projects of this nature required significant taxes, and so he imposed huge taxes on the populace, mostly who were farmers and peasants. So Herod is ambitious, but he's also incredibly insecure and terribly violent. Ambition, insecurity, and violence are a deadly combination. Herod had half of the Sanhedrin murdered. He had his own brother-in-law drowned in front of him. He executed his wife and three of their sons, just to name a few. He had a reign of terror going as he was ruling. And this hateful streak persisted right until he died. As Herod was slowly dying of a horrible, incurable illness, historian Josephus records that he ordered his military to bring a large group of significant men to Jericho. And he gave orders that they should all be killed at the same time as his death so that the grief of these significant men would be all over the land 
and that grief would be confused for grief of him. Thankfully, his son, Herod Archelaus, stopped the plan. But Jesus comes into the story and disrupts Herod's life. When the Magi walk into Herod's courtroom asking questions about the king of the Jews, Herod's violent insecurities took over because he thought of himself as king of the Jews. And he hatches a plan to destroy the Christ. The other characters in the story that I want to spend most of our time talking about today are the Magi. As Joe mentioned last week, the scripture says very little about them, but Christmas pageants and hymns have them in our imagination as three, as kings, and as arriving on the Christmas night that Jesus was born, all wearing royal clothing. Uh, we know they were from the east, which means they were probably from Toronto, so, uh, which is the great east. We do know a few things about them. We know that they were Gentiles. These are non-Jewish people. They were foreigners. They were come from ways. People didn't travel like we do today, so it was a huge deal to have complete strangers of this importance with really no family connection roll into town to celebrate the birth of a baby. Also, the word magi is short for magicians. These guys were like magicians of the stars. In Matthew's day, astronomy, or the study of stars and their configuration, and astrology, which is trying to figure out what these configurations mean, were fused together. So anybody who could look at the stars, watch the formulations, and then decide what they meant, they were considered wise. Now to us in the Christmas story, these guys are normal. They belong there. But remember, for, Ju for Matthew's Jewish readers, these guys were scandalous. By Jewish law, astrology was forbidden. It was occultic. Imagine if you came to the family Christmas event tonight and there was a station where you could get your tarot cards read. You would find that concerning. You would say, this does not belong here. In the same way, these magicians do not belong in a Jewish story. But these guys were spiritual seekers. They were likely familiar with most of the religions from the region. They would have been familiar with Jewish prophecy. Most people think they were from modern-day Iran, Iraq, or Saudi Arabia. And that in these communities, there were strong Jewish communities left there from the days when God's people were exiled throughout the land. And Jesus disrupts their lives, too. When they see this star, it spoke to them for this quest that they were on. It caused them to travel 900 miles, a two-year journey to arrive at the home of Mary and toddler Joseph, or Jesus. Now raise your hand this morning if you're a little bit of an Old Testament geek. Phew. There was nobody at 9.30, so they're getting tons of Old Testament for the whole 2019. Um, but there's a story in the Old Testament that kind of rings like this one, the story of a violent king, a magician, and a star. Numbers 24 tells the story of a ruthless Moabite king, much like Herod, who was feeling threatened by the Israelites because they were increasing in power and influence. So the king sends his messengers to go visit Balaam a well-known magician or occultic leader, and asks him to curse God's people, to kind of push them down. So Balaam does his magic, and the Lord speaks to him and says, do not curse my people. I have blessed them. I'm watching over them, and I am going to raise them up to topple over the king. 
So, at first reluctant, Balaam makes a pilgrimage and visits the king and gives this uncomfortable message about a star and a scepter and that God is going to dethrone a Moabite king. Which is to say this baby Jesus, when he comes into the world, is disruptive to the powers at day. There's a a manger scene or a nativity scene at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. It's a typical, we'll get all the characters. It's got cattle and Mary and Joseph and angels. And on one hand, it looks kind of normal. But notice the setting. Instead of everybody cramped into a small stable, it's set among the ruins of the Roman Empire. It takes place in the streets with Roman columns collapsing all around it. The point being this. The humble Christ shakes the foundations of the world and says to everyone, that their knees must bow to this newborn Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things I want to just kind of point out about this story that I think are kind of important for us today. And the first is this. This passage of the Magi coming remind us that Jesus is worthy. These Magi and their two-year disruption remind us that Jesus is worthy of our time. The reason we don't like disruptions in our life is because we have such a value of time. We're 21st century people. We're busy. We've got things going on. Getting interrupted is difficult for us. Our schedules are full. We're rushing here. We're rushing rushing there. We're always very busy. And even though that a new app that is so annoying that reminds us that we spend three hours a day on our phone, um, we're still very busy people. This story reminds me painfully that even my time is not my own, that it's the Lord's. That when we submit to Christ, when we bow our knee, when we ask him to reorder our lives, we are also saying, you are now the one who orders my days and is in control of my calendar. The Magi, these pagan magicians from another land, were disrupted by God and spent two years focused on searching out what is God up to in the world. When was the last time you took some dedicated time to explore what King Jesus was up to in your life? When you sat down in a quiet space with a journal and and pen and said, Lord, how did 2018 go? What do you have in store for me in 2019? Where am I growing? Where am I fading? If I keep going the direction I'm going today, will I end up closer to you or further away from you? When someone comes to meet with me to tell me that they're having problems with a relationship, the first question I ask them is this, how much quality time are you spending together? And almost always they respond, well, it's been really busy. (laughs) In the same way, our faith is based on a relationship with Christ. And in my own life, when I am feeling spiritually dry, there's a direct connection to how much time I am spending or not spending with the Lord. Jesus is worthy of your time. Jesus was also worthy of gifts. We see this in the kind of generosity that these magi brought three gifts. They fulfill that Old Testament line that says, I will not show up before the Lord empty-handed. They bring the gift of gold, which is the gift that you bring to a king, symbolizing the kingliness of Jesus. And notice that they did not give this gift to Herod. They bring frankincense, which is a kind of incense used in temple worship. 
It was burnt in worship, and the symbol, symbolism was as the incense rose up, it symbolized the prayers of God's people going up into his presence. And the symbolism here is significant. By bringing this gift to a home instead of to the temple, they were saying God can now be worshipped anywhere. And then myrrh, the fragrant offering that's so often used to embalm the dead, speaking to the future death of Christ. But they did not show up to Jesus empty-handed. They brought gifts. He was worthy of gifts. The longer you follow Christ and come face to face with his grace and mercy in your life, the harder it is to show up into his presence with empty hands. The second thing I love about this story is I think you and I are surrounded by spiritual seekers today like these magi. We live in a culture that's spiritually seeking. Tarot cards, palm reading, astrology are all on the rise. Spiritual practices that were once seen as fringe are now normal. Why? Because people are trying to make sense of life. They're trying to figure out what's going on in the world. They're trying to find some meaning. And this is a time, this Christmas season, when people are spiritually open. I was in Starbucks yesterday, and I was standing there, and over the... Over the, over the sound system was playing Oh Holy Night. And I should have tried to figure out what version it was because it was lovely. And I'm standing there listening to this song in Starbucks and the phrase that kind of caught my mind, which I've heard a number of times, is our soul felt its worth. Speaking of the response to a human soul when it comes in contact with Christ. So I'm standing there in Starbucks and I'm thinking, oh, that's such a great line. And then I get thinking, I can use that in my message tomorrow, so heads up in four minutes, you're going to hear it again. <laughs> but it's a season where the story of Jesus is being amplified all over the place. It's a time when people are open to being invited to Christmas Eve services. They're open to hearing about why you celebrate Christmas the way you do. Why you do some of the things, some of your traditions. Now, with all the spiritual activity and interest is great, but the story of the Magi has another lesson for us as well. I'm not sure if you noticed in the story, but the star leads them to Jerusalem, but it's the scriptures that lead them to Jesus. Last week, we talked in the service that there was a comet in the sky, and apparently it's still up there today. And uh, if you've ever been outside in the night sky and seen a bright star, you can walk and follow it to a certain degree, but it's really hard to lead you to an exact residential address. It will get you a certain way there. But it's the scriptures that will bring you all the way home. They needed the scriptures, the Magi. Herod calls the religious elite together and they have a big old-fashioned Bible study and they find the prophecy found in Micah that said the king of the Jews was going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, if the Magi are somewhat similar to those who are spiritually seeking in our day, there's a lesson here that nature, outside religious practices will get you so far, may even get you down the right road, but Scripture will bring you home. And the truth of Scripture, the specifics in Scripture, will bring you home. If you're someone who would say, look, I'm spiritual, but I'm not comfortable with the label Christian, then this passage would suggest to you that looking at the stars or exploring nature or reading maybe other religious documents are a great start. They're an entry point. If you love sitting by the ocean, if you enjoy a walk in, in nature, in a forest, and you just have this sense there's something going on here, 
There's something profound, something spiritual, something of the divine in this moment. You're right. But Jesus is the full revelation of the taste that you are getting. And Christmas is the season when we remember that God did not come and give us a taste. He gave us full access to himself through Jesus Christ. Who are the magi in your life and in your world who are looking for full access to God? The last theme in this passage, and it's been a, a constant theme if you've been here through this service, is the theme of overwhelming grace. If you've gotten the sense that um, this passage of Matthew's um, would have been a bit of a problem to his audience. Try to think of the most conservative Christians that you, you know, the most fundamentalist Christian that you know. Try to think of someone who is just so ultra-conservative. That was Matthew's audience. That was the audience, that was the culture that Matthew himself grew up in. And yet he tells us this Christmas story about the Son of God being born in a barn, about filthy shepherds being the first evangelists, about non-Jewish magicians finding Jesus because they were practicing astrology, and not only that, they got advice from the murderous King Herod. None of this would have played well with Matthew's audience. These were details he should have left out. It was controversial stuff. Which begs the question, why didn't he leave it out? Why aggravate his audience with these details? And I think it's because Matthew was controversial too. Remember, Matthew had been raised in a traditional conservative Jewish home. He had completely abandoned and turned his back on his own community to work for the occupying Roman government to extract unjust, brutal taxes from the people in his synagogue, the people in his neighborhood, and the people in his own family. Why? We don't know, but probably to become rich. And because he did this, he was disowned, kicked out of his synagogue, treated as dead from his own family. He would not have been invited to Christmas dinner. He was an outsider now. Matthew was controversial in the same category as these pagan star magicians from a foreign country. And then one day, while Matthew was working at his tax booth, Jesus shows up to his work and asks Matthew if he would be his disciple. Jesus offers to disrupt Matthew's life, to reorder his time and priorities, and to make the most beautiful changes possible in his life. And in that moment, as the carol says, his soul felt its worth. And Matthew said yes to him. And he got up and he walked away from it all. And he allowed Christ to totally disrupt his life. So when Matthew hears about these magicians from the East that come and are part of this Christmas story, he includes them. And it probably brings a tear to his eye because he was in the same category they were in when God's grace came and disrupted his life as well. Christmas is the season where Jesus comes to us with his disruptive grace and invites us to be his disciples, invites us to follow him.
invites us to have a brand new beginning, to leave last year and the years behind and have a fresh start with him. So this Christmas season, Jesus comes to you and says, will you follow me? Will you follow me again? Will you come home? Will you leave it behind? Will you bow the knee and surrender it all for the one name who can disrupt your life and make something beautiful out of it? Let me pray for you. God, today we are so grateful that you walked up to Matthew at his work and invited him to follow. And that in that moment, something happened in his heart. And he saw something that had been unseeable to him before. He could imagine things taking place in his life that he could not have imagined before. And he experienced the grace of God pouring over his life. And he stood up and he followed And Lord, today I pray that this Christmas season would be a season where there are people even in this room, even myself, where we say again, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to leave some things behind. This is going to be a brand new season and it's going to be marked by your disruptive grace at work in my life. Lord, today I pray that we would have the courage and the faith to say yes to your invitation.